Hey everyone, welcome back to Raising Unicorns, a Harmon Brothers podcast. And in today's episode, we share what it takes to make an incredible offer your customers can't refuse with urgency, scarcity, transformation, and status. Unicorns are real. In the past eight years, Harmon Brothers has helped raise five unicorns. Yes, that's five companies with a billion dollar valuation, with at least six more companies right on the cusp of becoming unicorns. Here on Raising Unicorns, we share the lessons we've learned to help you grow your business by tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. It's time to start raising a unicorn of your own. All right, I'm super excited to be here with Brett Ellsworth and chat a little bit today about creating what you might call irresistible offers or offers so good that you can't refuse. What we want to do is talk about how to create offers that your customers can't say no to. Britt has a ton of experience doing that for our own clients here at Harmon Brothers, so I think it'll be a good discussion today. So thanks for chatting with me, Britt. I'm super excited to be here with you, Brett, who has more experience creating irresistible offers than I do. Oh, I'm lousy. Come on. First of all, I always just like to set the stage when we're talking about offers. I think most anybody in our audience, they know that an offer is not just a picture of your product with the price next to it. That's just a listing. What we want to do is cover the main points that will help people to create offers that are more than just the price that will help you to get more out of your advertising and basically just grow your business quicker. And so I'm excited to cover some of these points. And I think, Britt, you and I, in some aspects, have maybe different points of view and then obviously a lot of similarities because we work so closely together. I think it'll be a great chat for the next 20 minutes or so here. Let me maybe just start by saying that in simple terms, a great offer includes not only what you're selling, although it does include that, but it also includes something that makes it unique so that people choose you over the alternative. In most industries, there are competitors out there. Most customers, customers do some kind of price shopping. If you're price shopping between certain competitors and all you're going off of is the price, then you automatically choose the lowest price. Simple as that. But that's not all things being equal. And so what we want to do is make sure that things aren't equal, that you're not just (laughs) able to the deck. Stack the deck in your favor, right? Basically, what needs to happen is that you need to provide more value over and above what someone would be willing to exchange for it. I think we talk about that oftentimes as like a price to value ratio or a price to value discrepancy. And Britt, maybe you'll talk about that uh, here a little bit later. A really great offer makes someone say, holy cow, that's such a great deal. I'd be stupid to say no. Mm -hmm. right? Or I can't afford not to take this offer. There are many things that go into that. And that's what we want to discuss today. So maybe what we do, Britt, is talking a little bit about how you go about crafting that great offer. I think it starts with some research. You can just come up with things off the top of your head. And that's great. You know, we want to use your creativity when we're talking about offers. But we generally find it's so much better to start maybe not pie in the sky and get down to figuring out what people actually want. And then we can tailor an offer to that. Absolutely. I think that everybody should know at least their top five competitors in their space. It's good to differentiate here between your competitors and alternatives, right? If you're selling a car, your competitors are other car companies. But other people that are offering things that your prospect could potentially buy are like bicycles and motorcycles. Those are alternatives. Mm -hmm. So you want to at least know the competitors in your space and you might want to know about the alternatives in your space. Researching your competitors I, for one, like, I'm kind of nosy and I go and I sign up for their email lists 
I go on their landing pages. I look through their Facebook ads. I use some software, maybe do a little spy and see what they're up to, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah, we, um, we all do social media stalking. That's, yeah. that's normal. That's not creepy uh, these days, okay. right? Okay, well, good. Uh, then I am not creepy. It, it's, it's called being a life. It's a lifelong learner. You're a student. Okay. And that's a good thing, especially <laughs> when it comes to the competition. But so. I think that's a good way to go about it is just look at them like you are potentially going to buy from them, right? Not necessarily like, what do they have that we don't have, right? Don't go at it from like a lack mentality. Go at it from like, a, I'm going to get an air conditioner. What are my competitors saying about their air conditioners or whatever? You know what I mean? So that would be my first piece of advice is you, you need to know the offers in your space, the top five offers in your space, who they are, what they're offering, what their frequency of offers is. Some companies have like, okay, here's their one signature offer and they like open it once a year. Some companies are releasing offers every week, every month. You kind of you kind of got to keep up with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's always an offer. I, it's funny because I was having a conversation just yesterday with a buddy that has an e-commerce product. He just launched a game. I was curious because we're recording this right uh, just before Black Friday here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Because we're right around Black Friday, I just want to know, hey, what are you doing for Black Friday? What are your promotions? What are your offers? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, my partner, he, he doesn't really like discounting and promotions. I said, well, I don't really blame him. Discounting is never my favorite way to go. But I do find an exception when it comes to Black Friday because people expect it. And we'll talk about, you know, different ways that you can build your offer, different things that you can use in crafting your offer. But I think that Black Friday, Cyber Monday, let's say, is an opportunity for brands that don't normally discount or offer price cuts to actually do that. And I would look at it as a marketing play more than a sales play in a lot of cases. And what I mean by that is in the right cases, I don't care so much about how much money we make during Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I care more about gaining market share in that period. And so for me, it's less about a discount and it's more about what can I do to get as many people as possible using and talking about this product because that's the kind of marketing that can really move the needle for businesses. It was an interesting discussion and we'll see how they do. His offer is 20% off for Black Friday. That's decent. Um, which is, yeah, it's decent. It's not mind-blowing if they never discount and then suddenly their audience sees that they have a 20% discount. They're likely to get some sales off that. And then in addition, get a lot more product into a lot more people's hands. In the case of a startup, that gives them the opportunity to really get people talking about the product. And that'll be super helpful for them throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's always a branding play. You know, you always want to think about what your overall brand is willing to do and willing to look like. If you never do discounts and then you do a discount on Black Friday, that's a big deal. You definitely don't want to be the JCPenney with your one sale a year. You want to build status around this sale. You mean JCPenney with your one sale a day, right? Wasn't that their model? Is like there yeah, was, it no, was always a sale. Right, exactly. So that's what I'm trying to say is it blends JC in. JCPenney is so over salesy that if you never do sales, you don't want to treat your sale like JCPenney treats theirs. Right? right? You want to treat right. it like this is a huge event. You want yep. to treat it like very much scarcity. This isn't coming around again, and we're not joking. Yep, great point. Another element of an offer is the way you're messaging it, not just what your product is and how much it is, but what kind of transformation does it give? 
how does it save your customer time or save your customer money? What's the problem solution or what kind of status does it give to your customer? This contributes to the offer, but it's not what they get. But how you position your product, it gives you this transformation. Your offer around a transformation is going to be way different than your offer around the status that it brings to your customer. Big part of what I do is ad buying and messaging. For me, I always like to test into that messaging before we go live with Black Friday sales because I want the strongest positioning for my product and then stacking that discount on top of it. Does that make sense, Brett? Do you have anything to add there? Yeah, no, I think those are good points. It might be helpful to give an example of what would be that transformation that you're talking about versus like a status play. Do you have an example of what a transformation would be, what a status type offer would be? A Prius will get you from point A to point B, but a Viper will get you from point A to point B with status. So people buy these status symbols And often we don't talk about that. We don't verbalize it. We do portray it. It's kind of aspirational. Status is something that humans just naturally want because it's kind of programmed into our brain. If we have more status than the next person, then we'll get more opportunity. We'll get more privilege, that kind of stuff. So I would say status You're going to show it more in your branding. You're going to show it more in the images and video that you use. A lot of car commercials are about status. Okay, so question about that. I have seen some, or I've been targeted with some ads that talk about being a better father. I don't know if my kids have been talking to ad buyers or what's going on, but... It's basically programs that help you come up with activity ideas to do with your kids and different things like that. And it's like become a better father. Would that be a status type of thing or would that be a transformation? Am I transforming from a father that wants to be a good father into a father that actually is a good father? Like that sort of thing. I would absolutely say, and and maybe I'm wrong here, but from what I know, that is probably targeted towards younger millennials who are parents and kind of playing off the zeitgeist of we're trying to do better than our boomer Uh parents did. And I think that's more of a transformation. Status Mm -hmm. is more like external. Status is more what people see, how people perceive me. Mm -hmm. And transformation is more internal, how I become better inside of me through knowledge, through, you know, emotion, through relationship, whatever it is. But that's just my take on it. What do you think, Brett? No, I think you nailed it. So status is often associated with luxury items and some of that sort of thing, like nice watches. Potentially to some, I think where the lines get blurry is when you're talking about a nice pair of shoes that's very functional for athletics or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Then you can start to blur the lines a bit between status and transformation. Mm -hmm. But in the early examples that we talked about, you know, a a car or something like that, that would probably be a status play, whereas a program to make you a better person in your profession, in your family, whatever it is, that's more of a transformation type thing, right? Get ahead in your career or become a better whatever, I think is more that transformation play. So yeah, thanks for running through those. I think that's helpful. I know we wanted to talk about crafting your offer. There's a certain cocktail of different levers we can pull. Do you want to start talking about some of those, Brett? One of the things that we often see that goes along with an offer, and they go a little bit hand in hand, but they're different. So we'll talk about them separately. But urgency and scarcity, they're talked about a lot as being super effective when you can introduce those. They're talked about a lot because they really do work. They're psychological principles that help you to sell more when you can introduce those sorts of things in, right? Now, the key here is being honest 
Hmm. in urgency and scarcity. And there's a very good reason to use urgency and to use scarcity. And I want to run through a couple of those, but first maybe just talk about one of the uses of both urgency and scarcity that drives me nuts. They can play together. And I think there's a really good example of that in Peter McKinnon. So if any of you out there are filmmakers or just into photography, film, that sort of thing, you might know a famous YouTuber. He's got an Instagram account. And out of that account, he sells different pirate themed things, okay? So it might be a knife or it might be a coin. It might be some sort of everyday carry type item that goes in your pocket or maybe it's a handkerchief or whatever it is. I don't even know how often it is. Every couple of months or something, he comes out with a drop of a certain product and he does a great job of teasing it. He's got tons of followers. The design is beautiful. He's really honed and just totally nailed the brand. It's called Pete's Pirate Life. So he'll let people know, okay, on Saturday at noon, there's going to be a drop of this thing, whatever it is. And so everybody is getting amped up because they know that there's scarcity, that he's only created, we don't even know what the number is. Maybe it's a couple of hundred of these items that he's going to be selling. And we also know that everybody wants them. So you have both scarcity and urgency. It drives people to, I mean, they're like piranhas, right? If you want to get online and buy his product, even if you get to the site, add it to your cart and check out, for most people, it's going to be sold out before you can actually check out. And then the cool thing about that is that obviously he's already made a ton of money, but then he's also got people in the comments saying, hey, I hit checkout 12 seconds after the announcement on Instagram and it was sold out. I didn't get it. And you have hundreds of comments like that on his posts. And so everybody reading that is like, it's the social proof. Exactly. And so they know that if they want whatever he's selling, they've got to do it as soon as he tells them that it's for sale. And because of that, man, it drives, again, I don't know how many of these products he's selling at a time, but it seems super exclusive. He's like, it's maybe it is, maybe it's four, but it works, right? Let me break that down just a little bit. When you're talking about physical goods. You can use urgency and you can use scarcity by only creating a certain number of that thing, whether that's a certain style. So there's another guy that creates a pocket knife. He'll sell the scales on the side of the knife. It's like the handle kind of, it's a piece of the handle that goes on the knife and he'll design some of those and then he'll sell a certain number. And Everybody knows that when he sells out of those, they'll never be available again. And so if you want that, you know you have to hurry and do it now. Now, the nice thing about scarcity and urgency is that you build wealth through what's called velocity of money, okay? Say you make $100,000 and I don't specify the time frame. That $100,000 could be a lot of money or it could be a little bit of money. If you make $100,000 in 10 years, you're only making $10,000 a year. If you make $100,000 per day, then you're talking about a pretty sizable chunk of money, right? The way that that translates into business and with these offers is that if you can get that chunk of money to happen quicker and quicker and quicker, that's how you can build wealth or build the success of your business. The reason that scarcity and urgency are so important, and I think, Britt, you're going to talk about frequency of offers as well. You kind of mentioned it before. But the reason it's important to use these tactics when creating your offers is because you need to be making a certain amount of money over a certain period of time. And if you can compress that amount of time, then you have the opportunity to build that wealth quicker. That might be a little 
little bit. I'm looking at Britt here in the video. That may be a little bit, uh, I don't you can know, do some mental gymnastics. Or, I'm sure you can connect it somehow. A little bit of mental gymnastics. Yeah. So here's the idea. With physical goods, you can create scarcity by only creating a certain number yep. of any style or product, whatever it is. Yep. Limited. With services, whatever. you can, yeah, limited editions. That I mean, that's why artists do it, right? They create limited editions because they want to drive up the value of that thing. The other thing is when it comes to services, you can also use that in an honest way. You can limit the number of services that you can provide in a certain amount of time, right? If you're offering a service, there's no way you could service every person in the world in this year or whatever it is. You can increase your rates. So that's kind of an interesting one, meaning that I charge $50 an hour for my time this year. Well, next year, given inflation, I'm going to have to charge at least $60 or whatever the number it is to just keep an even standard of living. If people understand that the price is cheaper right now than it will ever be, that can create some of that urgency. The other thing that you can do is run in cohorts. So if you have a weight loss program, you might do that with a cohort each month or whatever the time frame is. Open and that those allows doors you to and use, close them. Mm -hmm. That's right. Exactly. And you can do that honestly because you can't personally give attention to every person that wants to participate in that program with you. And so letting people know about that kind of thing, using honesty to show them that your time, your resources, your product, whatever it is, is limited, can help them to stop with the decision paralysis and say, okay, I'm going to commit. I'm going to take action on this offer now. And it's a super valuable way to make your offers convert better. Yeah. So that's one thing that you can use, or I guess that's kind of two things, urgency, which is time and scarcity, which is quantity to build your offer. One of my most favorite examples of this is it was actually an info product, which we all want to sell info products because, you know, once it's made, you can sell a million and, it, you know, it, yeah. it doesn't take any more time or effort from you except the selling part, right? But to add urgency and scarcity into this, number one, there was opening and closing for the doors. But there was also like the first person to buy gets their entire purchase refunded. The yeah. fifth person to buy gets a one-on-one -on -one call with the offer owner. Mm -hmm. The 10th person to buy gets dinner out. We'll fly you in. We'll take you out to dinner. We'll answer any questions you have. The 15th person to buy gets 50% of their purchase price refunded. And so it almost gamified it, you know. Yeah, interesting. And it also caused that urgency, like, am I going to fall into that slot if I purchase now? And so there was kind of a mad rush, actually. Uh, I was able to see a little bit behind the scenes. And it was really, really effective. So I think that kind of thinking outside the box in whatever industry you're in, I think it's really important to make it interesting, make it not what they would expect, you know, and they may not even see the urgency and scarcity. They may just feel it and want to purchase without feeling all of those kind of gimmicky things. People are wise to it and they can see through it and they don't appreciate it. You know, people don't want to be seen as a number. They don't want to be seen as a dollar sign. So don't treat them that way. You know, make it fun, make it interesting, make it something that they don't expect. Yeah, I think those are two great points. I mean, there's the honesty that obviously we've harped on several times. And then the other part of it is bringing in that creativity. What can you do that's outside the box to get people interested and engaged? And I think those were some great examples. So I would say the other thing that we should cover is guarantees when it comes to your offer. So one of the things that often happens is that people have that hesitancy to buy because there's implied risk, right? If they're giving you money for something, how do they 
know that they're going to get their money's worth. If you can guarantee that they can get what they're expecting out of your product, your service, whatever it is, then more people will purchase because you're taking the risk out of the equation for them. There's maybe three types of guarantees. One's the unconditional guarantee. And that is where you basically say, look, if you're not happy for any reason, contact us within you know X time period, whether it's 30 days, a week, whatever it is, and we'll give you your money back, no questions asked. That would be an example of an unconditional guarantee. And that can really take the risk out of it for someone if they trust you that you will honor that guarantee. The other type is called a conditional guarantee. And the difference there is that you have to in some way prove that you did what you were supposed to do or that you use the product in the way that you were supposed to use it in order to take advantage of that guarantee. Now, there's pros and cons of both of those. The cons of a conditional guarantee is that it doesn't take out quite as much risk as the unconditional guarantee. The con of the unconditional guarantee is that you will have more people essentially gaming the system. And especially when you talk about services, that can get very expensive because you're providing a service, you're using your time, and when they're getting their money back for the time that you invested into them to provide that service, then there's obviously a cost associated with that. So there's costs associated with either types of guarantee, but you need to evaluate how your business can absorb. Every business, no matter how good you are, will have some people requesting refunds or taking advantage of that guarantee. But the advantage of offering that, the increase in conversion rates should and usually will, if you have a good product, far outweigh the cost that is associated with following through on that guarantee. Now, the third kind, it's kind of a trick guarantee. It's what we call the anti-guarantee. And that's basically saying there are no refunds, you will not get your money back, and then following it up with a really good reason. So in the case of something like Harmon Brothers University, which sells courses anywhere from $300 to nearly $3,000, we have a guarantee. And in some of those courses, we don't offer a money-back guarantee. The reason being is because when we give you the information about how we do certain things, there's no way for you to return that information to us. You will have the exact information that we use to do things exactly the way that we do it here at Harmon Brothers. And if it doesn't work for you, you're using it wrong. There's something else wrong. It's not the information that's being delivered. And in that case, we simply say, if you have any issues, you need any help, we offer the support. The money back guarantee in some of those cases might not make sense. That's basically what we call an anti-guarantee. It's where you say, we're so confident that you're going to succeed with this, that we don't offer a money back guarantee because you don't need it. And we will work through whatever issues you have and make sure that you're successful so that we can follow through on that non-guarantee, essentially. Now, I word that really crappy. But the idea is essentially saying we're so confident in our product or our service, we know it's going to work for you and there is no risk. You will get what you paid for and we guarantee that. Kind of an interesting one. That's why I don't really call it a third. It's it's kind of a third, but it's not really a guarantee. It's basically saying we're so confident you don't need a guarantee and you should be too. So that can go one of two ways and it definitely depends on the audience that you have. If you've built a lot of trust with your audience, then you're probably in a good place to try something like that. On the the other hand, if you're a startup, you don't have track record of success with clients or with your product or whatever it is, not having a guarantee is likely to hurt you more than it's going to help you. So use that one wisely if and only if it makes sense. I think that the industry that you're in or the type of product, 
products or services that you offer or the category of product versus service that you offer is going to play a lot into the guarantee that you choose. So info products, it's super easy to take the information and return the product, get your money back. You get off kind of scot-free, right? Like you kept your money, but you also got the information. And a lot of people do that. Yep. I think that goes back into number one, like you were saying, who's your audience? Are you curating an audience of good people? (laughs) Are you curating an audience of of bros, right? Um, That are willing to sacrifice your profit for their gain, right? (laughs) If you're shipping a product and you're getting a lot of returns, the one caveat is I'm not talking about apparel. But if you're shipping a product and you're getting a lot of returns, I just urge you instead of going after your guarantee first, look at your product and work on your product and try and get it to a better place where people don't want to return it. They're getting that transformation or they're getting what you said that they would get out of it, then they won't want to return it. So instead of starting with the guarantee, like just make sure that you right. have a really good, an excellent product. I say the uh, exception with apparel is there's the the trend of buying things online, trying them on at home, and then shipping back what doesn't what doesn't fit. And as unethical as I think that kind of is, it is the way it is. So if you're in apparel, I wouldn't necessarily say your product is the problem right off the bat. Otherwise, if it is a physical product, focus on R&D, <laughs> focus on getting a better product so you don't get those returns. Yeah. And that's the reason we're very selective about the clients that we work with at Harmon Brothers, because if we create a video that blows a company up and they have hundreds, thousands of orders, and that product goes out and the customer isn't happy with it. Basically, what we're doing is working to sink that company because you won't be able to absorb all of those returns if your product isn't quality, if it's not nailed, right? And so you have to be careful. And the best way to be careful is only sell good stuff to people, right? Let's all just be honest. Make the world a better place. Yeah. Let's talk about two more things just quickly. So bonuses, and then pricing. You can use bonuses to create an offer that increases that price to value ratio that I mentioned earlier. So maybe I'm getting $500 worth of product or services, whatever it is, but I'm getting that for only $400. One way that you can increase that price to value ratio is by adding in bonuses. So what is there that's complementary to your product or service that can help your customer be more successful with whatever they're buying and that can help increase that value. It could be additional education. It could be additional product, right? Free product. If you want to get someone trying some of your other products, something in another product line or something like that, you could introduce that into the offer, which raises the value and also exposes them to other things that they might buy in the future. And that does a really good job of not only increasing the value, but increasing the value of your business down the line. Yeah, absolutely. How can you add value without necessarily adding cost of goods sold? So if you have something like a skincare product, can you sell your skincare product and add as a bonus some kind of skincare regimen? It doesn't cost you anything to send that PDF, but it certainly increases the value of your product. I love what you said about including samples. There have been many times I've bought a product that I was kind of on the fence about because I knew I was getting a sample pack with it and I could try out the other things that I wanted to test out. I think those are all really great suggestions. But how does that value price ratio work with pricing? Like what's the pricing side of it, Brett? This is always a tricky one. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier about discounting. Your offer does not always need to be a discount. If you build that value up, as an example, let's say you have a cool piece of camping equipment and it's fairly expensive. 
Okay, say it's a tent. What I could do is say, okay, this tent costs $700 as an example, which would be really nice to sell online when you have those high ticket items, you have some room in there to actually have a cost per acquisition that you can afford to recover. So let's say you have a $700 tent. You know that when people go camping, they need all sorts of junk to have an accessible camping trip. They also need some know-how in order to have a good trip. And so what I could do is say, you know what? I don't want to discount the price of this tent. So what I'm going to do is add other things to this offer to help people say, you know what, this is an amazing deal that I would be dumb to pass by. And so what you could do is you could say, okay, we're going to have a tent in this package. Maybe we're going to name it like the ultimate family camping package. It's going to include the tent, which costs $700. It's also going to include something like Britt talked about, the 10 things you need to know. And, and this gets kind of annoying with the numbers and the list of and some of that kind of stuff. I realize that. So you can be creative that way, right? But if you had this camping manual so that people knew exactly what they needed to pack, okay, so you include some checklists in it. Don't forget the bug spray. Don't forget the flashlights. Don't forget your toothbrush. Some of those kinds of things. And then you also had a list of activities to do with kids when you're camping that will keep them entertained and make sure that parents also have a good time. And then you also potentially add some other things you know they're going to have to use with that tent. It could be the footprint for the tent so that water doesn't seep up through it during the night. It could be the rain fly that goes along with the tent so they don't get rained on and have a miserable trip. You can add certain things that are complementary to create this great offer that doesn't require you to discount the tent in order to make the sale. Because what happens is someone says, holy cow, that's a $700 tent. I would pay that. I kind of like a discount, but actually I'm getting all this other stuff along with it. And I know that I'm going to have a great trip that my family is going to enjoy camping in the outdoors for years to come. That makes it worth it to the person that's looking for that need to be fulfilled. And so I would say that's one example, maybe a bit of a long-winded one that could help you think about, okay, what is an offer and how can I craft an offer using what I have within my business or at my disposal? to help people see that my product is really the Absolutely. best choice and I, for them. I love that example because when you are paying to acquire a customer and you have a high ticket item like that, you can put so much additional gear in there. You're paying one time to acquire that customer. It's worth it to have those extra bonuses to acquire that customer at that cost. Does that make sense? Yes, because you've already on that package, you've already covered the cost per acquisition on the tent right? And if you only have to do that once, and then you're able to put other things in there that complete the sell or increase the cart value, different things like that, well, then you're in great shape because you've created more value, not only for the customer, but for your business. And you haven't paid more of that money to Facebook or Google or whoever it is that you're running ads on, right? And so you're able to basically share in that increase of value with your customer rather than sharing it with Absolutely. an ad platform Absolutely. or something like I that. I love that. There is basically this presentation of facts. It's a pyramid, right? And it's basically dividing the market up into the phases people go through in order to buy. I know that's confusing. Let me clarify. So the bottom of the pyramid is the largest amount. 20 to 30% of people in the market are never going to buy. They're never going to buy your product. That's just how it is. 30% of the market is maybe aware of the problem that your product solves. And then 30% is shopping around, considering. They're in the consideration phase. 6% of the market 
is honestly shopping because they want to make a purchase. And then like three to 4% of the market is like ready to buy. Their wallet is out. Everybody wants mm-hmm. to go after yep. that three to 4%. So that's where your offer comes in is your offer better than other people's. But you have to consider the further down that pyramid you go, the more expensive it's going to be to acquire that customer. If you're going after people who don't even know that they have a problem, how much education do you have to put into acquiring that customer? And that is expensive. Getting in front of them over and over and over is expensive, right? right? It adds up. If you have one offer and you just put it in front of that three to 4% of people, then you're going to get a certain percentage. But if you are putting offer after offer after offer after offer in front of those people. And you know, it's always a rotating market, right? Like people come in and people go out because they buy or they sure. they want to buy. So it is kind of a, a rotating. They move through that funnel. Yeah. But if you are putting multiple offers in front of your potential customers, you're going to make more sales because you're going to hit the pain points of certain people. You're going to hit the desires of certain people. You're going to hit the price point of certain people. Instead of trying to educate your market at the bottom of that pyramid, you want to start putting more frequency of offers in front of the buyers in that market. And that is going to drive your CPAs down way more than trying to move people up that pyramid. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, in fact, we were talking about this earlier in the week, you and I, Britt, about how a single audience can absorb more than a single message or a single offer, right? And certain people within that audience are more likely to be interested in or resonate with one message as opposed to another. And so having multiple offers, eventually you're going to get the one in front of the person where they say, oh my gosh, that's what I've been looking for. And then they take action. I think I can sum up how to test offers very succinctly here. What we're looking for when we're testing offers is at least two offers to test. Otherwise, you have nothing to test. So you need what we call your control offer and then your variation or variations. That's elementary to all of you. But the important thing and something that we see all the time is a lack of uniformity when it comes to testing. And if you don't have uniformity, you will screw up your test and then you won't learn anything. So we need uniformity in time period, meaning you need to run these offers. If not simultaneously, you need to run them as close to each other as you possibly can. I'll have a tip about that in a second. You need to run them to the same audience. So if you're testing different offers to different audiences, you're not going to get any valuable information out of that. You need uniformity of platform, meaning you can't test one offer on Facebook and one offer over on TikTok. Again, don't get any useful information out of doing it that way. So you need uniformity in time period, audience, and platform at a minimum, okay? What you need to be doing is keeping everything the same other than your offers. One more thing I would say when it comes to making sure that your results are reliable, it's called statistical significance. The only way that you get statistical significance is by running an offer to enough people having enough transactions and doing it over a period of time that enables you to get enough data. So what we recommend you doing is not making snap judgments and just saying, okay, I ran these two offers, you know, at the same time period, and this one performed better than the other one by a little bit. And so we're going to go with this one. Now, sometimes that's all you can do because you have time crunches and things like that. But in reality, we would recommend running most tests when it comes to offers for at minimum one 
week. The reason for one week minimum is that for most of you, there are buying cycles throughout the week. If you're selling apparel, you might have a lot more sales on Saturdays, Sundays, you know, weekend type shopping than you do during the week. And if you don't capture the entire cycle, then you don't know exactly how that offer is going to perform throughout that buying cycle. The other thing that's important is that if you get some sort of results, you need to actually calculate the statistical significance. Because say you get your offer in front of 100 people, so you split it 50-50, and 25 people take offer A, and 24 people take offer B, those results are so close together at those numbers that there's not statistical significance. You don't know when you run this to thousands of people if offer A is actually going to be better than offer B. And then the other thing I would caution you about is result decay or effectiveness decay, which is the longer you run that offer, the less likely it is to perform the same way it did at the beginning of the test, which means that you should always be testing so that as you have that decay in, you know, the effectiveness of that offer, and it's not always decay, sometimes it goes up, right, depending on seasonality and different things like that. What you need to be sure of is that over time, you're constantly reevaluating and making sure that your offer is as attractive as it can be to your current audience. Because your offer is not in a vacuum. You have competitors, there's a market, there are economic shifts, there's so many things going on. Like if you set it and forget it, it's like Brett said, it's diminishing returns. So you always have to be iterating. That's right. So I think that covers as best we can at a high level, the things you need to look out for when you're testing offers. But I would say if you're not testing offers currently, you should definitely do that because there are huge gains. Your offer is one of the main things that will have an impact on whether or not your business is successful. And so if you're thinking about everything else, you know, does the video look great? Does the ad copy sound nice? Are the colors, you know, is the call to action pretty on the website? You're missing out if you're testing all that other stuff, but you're not testing offers. So, all right, Britt, anything else to add before we give them an offer of our own? Oh my gosh, I'm excited. I don't even know what this offer is. Tell me what it is, Brett. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. And I know it's a little bit crazy and it's a little bit different than the offers that we've... Well, you have to judge how well did we build this offer. The thing that's crazy about this offer is it's different because we're not going to ask you for any money. In fact, it's really just a giveaway, but we're going to use several of the principles that we've talked about in crafting this free offer, okay? We're giving away a free Harmon Brothers University course worth between three. Mm -hmm. Yep. Should be good for many of our listeners out there. The value of the course that we give you is going to be between $300 and $2,500, just depending on which course from Harmon Brothers University is the best fit for your company. Not only that, we're going to give you a free copy of our book From Poop to Gold and a free creative review with no strings attached. You don't have to put in a credit card. There's no pitch, nothing like that. Here's what that's going to do. The course will teach you how to create a video or I should say videos that will drive serious amounts of new customers to your door, ready to buy on a consistent and reliable basis. With a book, you're going to learn how Harmer Brothers has basically used what we call the three pillars of creativity to inject creativity into our team and business. And it'll teach you how to use it with your own team and, and company, no matter what kind of business you're in. And then the creative review is going to help you take stock of your current and planned marketing assets. You're going to be able to identify where you're strong or where you're struggling and basically just help shore up some of your strategies so that you can start 
start seeing the kind of results that Harmon Brothers clients are experiencing, regardless of the platform chaos and the up and down economies, privacy changes, and all the other crap that basically people are preaching doom and gloom about in the current environment that we're all operating in, right? So we're going to do all of this for free as a sort of way of just thanking you for listening and as a way to give a little bit back. This giveaway to you guys is not without cost as Armor Brothers. We're going to have to invest some resources in getting you hooked up with the content and spending some time with you in that creative audit, getting these things to you. So we can't do it for everybody, but we're going to take the first five entrepreneurs or business owners or in-house marketing teams or employees to reach out to us. If you're an agency, this is not the offer for you. We're working on something else that's going to be awesome. It's a different offer, more suited to agencies out there looking to really up their game. But if you're an entrepreneur or an in-house marketer, all you have to do is be one of the first five to email podcast at harmerbrothers.com with offer in the subject line, and we'll take care of you with all that. The free Harmer Brothers University course, the book, and the creative audit that are valued up to $3,000. Again, that's podcast at harmerbrothers.com, and we'll take the first five. I think realistically, that's probably the number that we can help out here at the end of the year. So go ahead and do that. Don't wait. In a normal podcast where we have no offers, we get more than five emails. That's kind of the scarcity piece here, right? Urgency and scarcity. You need to go and send that email right now, even before the podcast is over to be able to take advantage of that. We'll see if it is less than 12 seconds before we sell out. Like like Peter. Yeah, Pete's, Pete's pirate life. Man, I hope so. That would be fun. So Britt, let's maybe just wrap it up by going over a couple of quick things here. So in creating your offer, you have some levers that you can pull. But before you even go to those levers, you need to do your competitor research. Britt, you were mentioning about knowing the top five kind of competitors in your space. You need to really look at that messaging. What's the right messaging for your offer? So is it a transformation? Do you save time or money? Is it a problem solution type offer? Is it a status type offer? And then you can go into, once you have all that information and the messaging ready, then you go into crafting your offer by using urgency, which has to do with time, scarcity, which has to do with quantity, and then guarantees, or you could use the anti-guarantee depending on your industry and your audience and the trust that they have with you. And then you're going to look at bonuses. And I would say last, focus on the pricing. Because once you have all of that put together, you should have a really good idea of what the value is and what you can offer it to your audience for. Britt was talking about frequency of offers. What would you say about that, Britt? Yeah, that would be just go through that process that Brett just described over and over and over and over and over you'll come out the other end with ton of offers that sell really, really well. Always be testing those offers, making sure that you're constantly improving and moving forward. And finally, just one last time, our offer to you, Harmon Brothers University course worth up to about $2,500, our From Poop to Gold book, and a free creative review from the Harmon Brothers team. Again, to get in on that, just be one of the first five businesses, entrepreneurs, or in-house marketing teams to email podcast at harmonbrothers.com with offer in the subject line. All right, Britt, it's been great. Thanks uh, thanks for hopping on. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. Thanks to everybody from listening and we will see you on the next one. All right, bye-bye now.